Hello everyone, my name is Carolina Nazario and I am the founder of The Paris Project. For those of you who may not know, The Paris Project is a mental health initiative aiming to make mental health resources more accessible, destigmatizing mental health, and raising awareness about disparities in BIPOC communities. To further our goals and missions, we started this podcast to amplify the voices of BIPOC mental health advocates. I cannot wait to share their missions, values, and inspirational storylines. We all have something to learn, so I hope you enjoy The Paris Project, Mental Health Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Paris Project, Mental Health Heroes. My name is Carolina Nazario, and I'm the founder of The Paris Project. For those of you who may not know, the Paris Project is a mental health initiative focused on addressing the disparities in treatment quality and access for BIPOC communities. This podcast is centered around discussing mental health advocacy with BIPOC mental health advocates. This week, we're featuring Sin Gomez. I cannot wait to introduce you. Um, I really cannot wait to hear about you, Sin. Please let me know about you know who you are, a short introduction of you and your work. I would love to hear it. Yeah, so hi everyone. Um, my name is Sin Gomez. Um, I am an 18 year old who is just starting at UC Berkeley. Um, a couple of projects that I've done in the past has been um, with Mental Health America as one of their youth uh, leadership um, council members, as well as with mental health nonprofits uh, like Tangible Movement. Um, there has been a lot of work that I've done on a very communal level. Um, I live in a predominantly uh, Latinx and um, Asian American population in my city. So definitely some communities that have um, a lot of work to do and a lot of history with mental health um, and, um, you know, hopefully moving the conversation in, in a productive direction. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to be here and I'm happy to talk to you all about the work that needs to happen and the work that has been happening for um specifically the Latina community. I love to hear that, specifically the part um, work that needs to be done and work that already has been done. Usually the work of community organizers and community advocates gets overshadowed and not really talked about, which is a major part of the reason why we're here, A, to celebrate the work that you're doing and also talk about the things that need changing. Um, so just jumping in and diving into our first question, what inspired you to advocate for mental health awareness? Um, something that I like to ask a lot of people was like, was there a defining moment or more so a collection of moments for you that led to this interest and this advocacy? Oh, most definitely. Yeah, I think that, you know, each person that has become a mental health advocate is not without a story. So specifically for myself, um, I come from a family that, you know, has had uh, mental health issues in the past and, you know, is struggling to, you know, reclaim that narrative and have these open discussions. So, um, you know, I felt that my experiences and my family's stories, um, you know, more so made me have to become an advocate as opposed to wanting to become an advocate. There was um, this, more so of a need than a want. Um, and I was happy to, you know, start having these conversations. And, you know, within the Latina community or, you know, specifically coming from a family with uh, immigrant parents and uh, there's a specific secret secretiveness that comes with it. Yeah. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, tiptoeing around topics or mm -hmm. um, kind of shutting down conversations before you even start. And, I wanted to have us talk about these hard conversations, these ones that, you know, make you a little bit uncomfortable. It's just because we don't have them mm -hmm. as often as we need to, to, yeah. you know, have a productive conversation. And um, I wanted us to reach a point where we talk openly about it. But obviously, <laughs> every family is a work in progress. So uh, we're still working on that. And uh, you also mentioned, like, what collection of moments. Um, made me want to become a mental health advocate. And I think that connects to my story too. Um, throughout my teen years, um, as I mentioned, I'm 18, so I'm definitely still um, <laughs> dealing with it. And, you know, yeah. a lot of youth are. So mm -hmm. um, I struggled with things like my identity um, as a, a trans person of color. You know, there mm -hmm. is something that we're taught um, 
within communities of color it's kind of not to question things like this especially those that are intrinsically tied with religious affiliation so Mm -hmm. specifically the mexican-american community is profoundly catholic um, and things like that it's kind of more often than not taught that god made you a specific way so Mm -hmm. to challenge that in any sense is you know a huge sin um and uh overcoming things like that uh those taboos you know took a toll on my mental health when I was trying to, you know, work through it. So I felt this overwhelming sense of like self-hatred and it manifested in different ways for me. Things like um, disordered eating habits, extremely high expectations for myself and um, years of like self-harm. So I definitely have seen a range of how this impacts um, LGBT uh, by POC youth. And, um, you know, just to add on to this, a couple of defining moments where each time I came to realize my identity or lean into the fact that I was um, like LGBT. So mm-hmm. in eighth grade, um, coming across my sexuality and what that really meant um, in my junior and senior year, which was only like two or three years ago, mm-hmm. the fact that like um, my gender identity was not aligned with uh, the gender I was assigned at birth. And most recently, um, my freshman year of college, all of this is like a history that's told specifically for myself. And, you know, I think that it's important to highlight that many um, LGBT by POC people go through a similar struggle of, you know, mm-hmm. having to overcome their family's barriers, cultural barriers, and, you know, finding their space within um, every conversation and, you know, highlighting this unique voice. and you know, um, moving the conversation forward, that includes everyone. So uh, that's (laughs) been my story. And it's definitely still a work in progress, not only in in my home, but um, within myself. So I'm super excited to be having this conversation where we dive more into it. Yes, totally. Thank thank you so much for sharing um, all of that and being so vulnerable and talking so openly about these experiences. I definitely think that it's so important for movement to talk about the uncomfortable as you talked about in your answer, just talking about things that are uncomfortable because sometimes talking about mental health is uncomfortable. Sometimes talking Mm -hmm. about race and sexuality and gender is uncomfortable, but having these conversations are some of the only ways to really move forward and create progress within our own communities and to sort of open up doors of understanding. And I think that that's so important. Um, You touched a little bit on sort of religion in the Latinx community and A, as a Puerto Rican, I totally sort of relate to that. And I think that sometimes religious discussions sort of are intrinsically tied to mental health. And whenever someone brings up mental health, it sort of becomes a discussion of prayer or, you know, something that religion will automatically solve your problems. And I think that, you know, while for some people, prayer is like, you know, a completely valid form of self-care. And I totally believe that, you know, for some people, that is something that makes them feel better. How do you feel like your community's like ties to religion? Um, sort of ties into awareness and their focus on mental health specifically. Yeah, so this is, I'm so happy we're having this conversation. Um, And, you know, specifically for the Latina community or the Latinx community, um, religious identities, like you said, can be a form of self-care. And I think that that's important to, you know, preface with is that for some, it's a very healing and useful tool while others it can be a very oppressive um, yes. force on their life so um, you know within the religious sector of um, the Mexican American community the Latina community um, you know we have these intrinsic ties to family oriented um, events or um, this kind of high esteem that um, elders in our community have. So I think that all of that can definitely tie into religion. And, you know, when we're having this conversation, um, a lot of times religion and the stigmatization of mental illness, you know, go hand in hand because um, we see this in media. We see this in our families that 
you know, there's this very, very religious grandma who is um, usually always a grandma and always mm -hmm. trying to, you know, protect her, her young community members, which, you know, is definitely a force of care, but also attributes mental health to things like demonios, which are like demons, mm -hmm. or uh, siendo un pecador, which is like being a sinner. Um, and so much of this conversation ends up being misdirected. Um, and kind of goes away from adequate mental health to an enforcement of religiosity. So mm -hmm. that's definitely, you know, an important prong to this is that, um, you know, there's this type of esteem that religion is held to where you can't really go against it without losing your identity. And I think that that is important to know is that religion is so intrinsically tied to this community that you can't really go against it without losing your sense of community. And I want to, you know, change that narrative that we talked about religiosity as a, a self-care tool. And once it's not serving as that anymore, and we're seeing it impact your mental health in a negative way, I hope that we can reach the point that, you know, it can just be another prong of mm -hmm. self-care and only self-care, yeah. not necessarily damaging your mental health that for many it becomes. And for myself, it was that at one point. Um, I specifically remember just kind of this disgust or distrust in the church because I felt like I wasn't being loved. Mm -hmm. But something that my parents really emphasized and helped my mental health was that they told me that God doesn't make mistakes and mm -hmm. the way you're made is the way you're supposed to be. So I hope that a lot of other Latina, um, by POC, LGBT people listening today can really hear that message that you can hold both things to be true, that mm -hmm. you can hold your um, sexuality or your gender identity and your religiosity. You can hold both of them in your identity, and I do. So um, I think that that's an important step that we all need to have is, you know, kind of separating these, but holding them to be true and valuing our mental health because we've also seen that um, discussing these problems, um, you kind of have this sense of embarrassment or shame that comes up. And, you know, religion is all tied to the like heteropatriarchy that is has been converted into like the Mexican-American household mm -hmm. and this sense of machismo. So having this awareness of all these things, all these components mm -hmm. that come with religiosity is, is super important in, in shifting the narrative that we have from something to that some find as oppressive to only be a tool of, of self-care. I love that. And I love sort of your take on it. I think that it's so important to recognize sort of the flaws that are in certain systems while also valuing them for other aspects. And, you know, I feel like religion and the church can be a form of self-care, but for so many people, it feels very isolating and cold and mm -hmm. sort of non-accepting. And I think once we learn how to strike a balance, I think that it can be an amazing tool for some people. And I think that that balance can be, you know, achieved. And I hope so that it is one day. But until then, I think that it's very important to recognize the pitfalls along the way or else, you know, that balance will never be achieved. And there will still be people who feel isolated and non-accepted. Um, mm -hmm. Jumping off of what you said, um, I think this sort of plays into it, but... I really want to hear your perspective on this. Why is awareness important, like specifically for your community as someone of the LGBTQ um, by, by, by POC groups? Why is awareness so important? Um, and also in your own perspective, is your community focused on mental health? Yeah, so I definitely think that holding all of these identities um, is something very unique um, to specifically LGBT people of color mm -hmm. um, is that we have multiple aspects of society going against us. Mm -hmm. um, and I definitely hold so much respect for the women who are treated the worst. Um, the trans women in the black community, I think that it's important to uplift them and their stories and their hardship. But mm -hmm. um, coming back to this idea of mental health and why awareness is so important for this community is that our history is telling enough that there has not been sufficient work um, for specifically LGBT community members. Um, so I think it's important to bring up the fact that um, 
predominantly mental health and what quantifies mental illness is in the image of heterosexual cisgender white community members. Mm -hmm. That it has been historically what the narrative has been. And when specifically LGBT community members or um, the BIPOC community comes into um, infrastructure seeking help, a lot mm -hmm. of times there's a, not enough education around um, what mental what mental illness looks like for these communities. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, it's definitely hard to, um, you know, reshape this narrative, but education is a primary tool that needs to be implemented because, you know, this community has historically been underserved. And when I say this community, I'm talking both about um, the Latina community as well as the LGBT community. So, um, you know, these identifiers are quintessential to getting adequate help. And if we don't have it, if we don't have these people that are meant to help and support those struggling with mental illness, then there's no way to, you know, advance this conversation and advance what is possible for mental health awareness and education and um, different forms of assistance. So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm happy to see that we're starting to have therapists or counselors that are specifically for students of color, young people of color, yeah. and um, for LGBT members. Um, but there's definitely still so much to be done. And I think that's why mental health awareness is so important is that there's so much work to be done in terms of educating and, you know, with the infrastructure of stereotypes and um, the prioritization we have in society tends yeah. to leave a lot of LGBT members, a lot of uh, young people of color um, in the dust and, you know, kind of unworthy or a sense of not being sick enough, not being enough as a human being to actually mm -hmm. get the help. And I know that that was my struggle is that I wasn't, I felt I wasn't, you know, at the point where I qualified for help. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's super important to note is that a lot of people are still having this, even in quarantine, even when resources are so much more available, mm -hmm. this sense of not feeling quote unquote sick enough or not feeling enough in general leads a lot of people to have struggles for a lot longer than they need to. So to actually have this focus on, um, you know, mental health for LGBT students and students of color, is the next step forward and we can't really have a conversation around what mental health can look like without adequately supporting these community members um, who have been historically left out of the conversation. Yes, I think that that's so important. And when we talk about mental health awareness, there are so many different layers of it. I know that you touched upon sort of the way that many mental health professionals don't know how to address mental health in you know, people of these communities. And a lot of that stems back to research and, you know, people not being included in research and their own implicit biases. And so mm -hmm. many different issues are layered on top of each other to create a situation where, you know, by POC and LGBTQ members of youth communities specifically are not receiving adequate care. And I think that it's such a sad situation and it really creates this sort of uneven territory that leads to misdiagnosis, that leads to, you know, mental health care largely being accessed through the juvenile um, justice system. Through so many different avenues, people are being sort of corralled into a system that does not provide adequate care. And I think that it's super, super sad the way that each of those things interact with each other. And I really value your answer because of the way that it touched upon many of those layers and sort of the way that inadequacy sort of presents itself in multiple areas of the mental health community specifically, and the ways in which that there's so many failures along the way that lead to this sort of you know, inequalities in treatment access and treatment quality in so many different arenas. And I know that you also had mentioned about the way that there are so many more directories for people of color and LGBTQ people to be able to access therapists who look more like them, who, you know, understand them better. And I think that that's so important. And it's such a good 
you know, showing up the way that mental health awareness has been able to create avenues for people to access better care. And that's just something that, you know, I'm very proud of to see, you know, specifically Black female therapists and, you know, so many different social media groups and websites and ways for people to access care that was not possible even five to 10 years ago. And I think that it's so amazing to see. Yeah, most definitely. And like you mentioned, this specific broadening of what it looks like to be a mental health care provider and someone who struggles with um, mental illness, you know, representation is everything. And we're seeing it now more than ever, which is beautiful and also saddening that it took so long. Mm -hmm. And that having these community members be the ones helping us makes all the difference, you know. Um, Specifically for the Latina community and uh, the LGBT community, you know, there's this kind of trying to get proximity to whiteness to be validated. Mm -hmm. And, you know, specifically in these communities, there's a focus on physical symptoms and not psychiatric symptoms mm -hmm. um, to identify your struggle or your mental illness and to actually see these community members that know, you know, what it was like to go to school in these communities, what it was like to, quote unquote, get out of these communities to, you know, get that education that isn't, you know, facilitated or um, attained in, in the community. It takes a lot of work to, you know, come back and do this service. So I think that this this cultural shift that we're seeing where now our therapists and our mental health care providers are um, LGBT, they are people of color, they are women, they are yes. the trans community, all mm -hmm. of this progress doesn't go unnoticed. And I, yeah. I think that we're so fortunate amongst all of the chaos right now to be alive. I think that that's something that has been going through my head this whole quarantine and, you know, just the past four years living through constant historical moments is, mm -hmm. despite it all, we're so lucky to be alive right now because mm -hmm. although, you know, there is so much going wrong, we get to live through it and be the change that needs to happen. And that's always kind of been my motto. So I'm really happy to be here and see this change that, that happens within the LGBT community, within the BIPOC community, within the mental health care community mm -hmm. um, and advocacy. So I love that we're talking about, you know, this, this sea change and what representation really means. And, you know, I'd like to think we're headed in the right direction. <laughs> Me too. And I think that that's one of the most majorly important parts that, you know, we are moving, we're moving a bit too slowly, <laughs> a lot of it too slowly, <laughs> but at the very least we're moving. And I think that it's all owed to people who are, you know, community organizers, people who are on the ground, people who are leading these changes, people like you, people who, you know, I follow on my Instagram and put on there. You know, these people are truly creating programs that are doing work that, you know, government programs can, could not compile together. And I think that that's something that's super important. And to think that it started out with one directory here, one blog post here, you know, calling out disparities to now that people are much more aware and in going into even things like research and to think about the ways that Mental Health America and organizations like NAMI have sort of changed and put this focus on you know, by POC mental health. And that's largely due to organizers beginning the work and sort of pointing out these disparities that led to a lot of introspection and changes, which I think is something that is super, super important and something that is really amazing to see, like for me personally, as someone who has advocated for mental health. I mean, I'm still really young. I think we're both 18. But, you know, for years now, <laughs> you know, we've been online. I mean, I started blogging about mental health about four to five years ago and sort of just seeing the changes, even within those four to five years on places like Twitter, like, you know, seeing the change in like the makeup of mental health advocates and the topics that they talk about, I think it has been truly amazing and something that is really inspirational to see and to see that how willing people are to change um, within this space specifically. Most definitely, yeah. Um, and just to add on before we move on, uh, I think that 
you know, as you mentioned, we've been in a very quintessential time where we actually got to see stuff be changing. And, mm -hmm. you know, social media is a huge tool. And um, I hope my goal for the future is that, you know, it's not only mental health is something that can be included in conversation, but is rather, you know, constantly addressed in conversation because mental yeah. health is something we all have. Mm -hmm. um, and to actually address, even when it's good, not yeah. only when it's bad or when, you know, you're at your worst, um, mm -hmm. you know, for these communities, like um, communities of color and LGBT community, mm -hmm. it's more often than not, highlighting the bad parts or the yeah. struggles and you know highlighting the joyous times and mm -hmm. the times of success are also so 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 important and to touch on the future of the Hoth community um, I think that we have a lot of work to do um, mm -hmm. in terms of you know instead of commercializing or capitalizing on mental health awareness actually mm -hmm. make the the move to um, be more accessible and equitable and actually listen to these stories because mm -hmm. more often than not we're caught up in the midst of you know commercializing it or you know seeing these big businesses start to suddenly care i would like yeah. to see like what you mentioned more the grassroots the community organizers be at the forefront and have these big commercial industries highlighting them mm -hmm. um instead of you know making their own business corporation their own infrastructure the center mm -hmm. or the heart of this movement because it never started there yeah. and it shouldn't move there it should continue to be communities of color communities um that have been historically underserved and um you know we can't just talk about mental health in terms of depression anxiety things mm -hmm. like that that are um you know what we've been seeing we also need to talk about we we touched on getting to quote unquote the hard part of the conversation and that also includes things that aren't as you know easy to talk about like mm -hmm. um schizophrenia or uh like dissociative identities things like that are also mm -hmm. what is included in mental illness and to you know include those community members as well is definitely where i see the future of mental health going so i'm super excited and you know to be a part of that we're so lucky to get started early and actually be a part mm -hmm. of that yeah i definitely agree and just to see where the future is going it's super, super inspiring. And I think that a major part of mental health advocacy is that it plays a part in almost every part of like your life. And because like you said, mental health is everywhere. Mental health is, you know, both good and bad. Everyone has a mental health and people, I think that's something that a lot of mental health awareness pages and organizations can learn from is including both good mental health and then also mental health that is less attractive than, you know, sort of things that they tend to boast about more, you know, mental health quotes, you know, and those types of mm -hmm. things, you know, including the stuff that is harder to talk about. I think that that's something that is super, super important to learn about. So now jumping off of that idea a bit, how has mental health advocacy or your own mental health connected to your personal life and just the way that you approach life? I know that for me personally, mental health advocacy has like kind of changed the way that I approach different viewpoints and sort of ways that I approach conflicts and different things in my own life. So how has it affected you? Yeah, um, there are... I think this has kind of been like reiterated throughout this entire um, like episode, but you know, mental health advocacy has not only changed my life, but also my high school campus culture um, mm -hmm. with being a part of things like my local NAMI um, mm -hmm. and, you know, bringing this tangible change to my hometown has been changing my life yeah. from different opportunities that I've gotten to you know having this podcast right now mm -hmm. um no one in my community would have thought possible that one we could be talking about mental health mm -hmm. and two have a platform to do it so i'm super happy that firstly that is how it has changed my personal life but in terms of you know advocacy uh i talked about my struggle starting as far back as like five years ago and um 
over that that time period, for the most part, I struggled by myself and didn't really know how to get this help, even mm-hmm. though, you know, uh, family members had gone to therapy or I saw that community members were going to therapy. I still was very hush hush and I didn't really know how to get there myself. Yeah. So through things like um, the organizations I'm a part of and just kind of having these conversations at a certain point it became a bit hypocritical to advocate day in and day out without taking care of myself Mm -hmm. so you know the advocacy that I've done has allowed me to go to therapy and that started through my university and a lot of um, students don't know this but more often than not at least in the U.S. um, colleges and high schools have you know therapists or counselors Mm -hmm. that are there to help and trained for these type of things specifically with you know being a first generation student being an immigrant being um a student of color lgbt these are things that they're trained to do and Mm -hmm. these resources are there more often than not um and you know i finally got the courage to do it for myself because you know i came into this type of conflict where how can i keep advocating without taking care of or advocating for myself um so my advocacy got me to therapy and I think that that is a huge step. And, you know, I've in these like five to six years of advocacy, I've only gotten help in the last year. So Mm -hmm. I think that owning that narrative of, you know, this generation is so focused on advocacy, but, Mm -hmm. you know, for our community members that are out there protesting every day, community members that are fighting for their life every day, um, you know, I hope that we can all get to the point where we are afforded the time or afford ourselves the time to get this help mm-hmm. when needed um, because we're experiencing traumatic things every day and, you know, it goes largely unnoticed and that type of self-care, mm-hmm. that's what I would call self-care too. Self-care looks different for so many yeah. different people. Um, so for me, that's uh, one thing that I'm super happy about and, you know, my own struggle has allowed me to, you know, come out in different um, ways throughout my life because the struggle just became so overbearing. This type of mm-hmm. mental uh, or emotional trauma and exhaustion just got to the point where I couldn't keep holding all these things in and, you know, allowed me the chance to come out and, you know, start speaking mm-hmm. my truth in every conversation I go into. So, um, you know, mental health and the LGBT community are intrinsically tied that way. And, yeah. you know, advocating for LGBT youth's mental health allowed me to take care of my own <laughs> health as an LGBTQ youth. So um, that's another way it has helped me. And, you know, for me, and I'm sure a lot of other students, um, my mental health advocacy and my own mental health uh, struggle has connected me to a different type of hardship, I guess. So it manifested in a very interesting way where um, I mentioned earlier expectations within the Latina community are very high, Mm -hmm. especially as a first-generation student. Um, You face a lot of what is called imposter syndrome and Mm -hmm. just kind of feeling out of touch with what you're able to accomplish just because it hasn't been done before. So, you know, I, I... felt that and I continue to feel that as Mm -hmm. I'm in my first year of college and you know through the things that I was able to do uh, for the mental health community for voter registration Mm -hmm. um, the list goes on you know those type of academic and professional successes are really hard to come to terms with and Mm -hmm. um, that mental health struggle has connected to my personal life in the sense that um, as opposed to like a traditional archetype of what anxiety, what depression, what all these different things look like. Um, I hope to share the message that, you know, mental health struggles look different. They don't look like mm-hmm. just one thing. And for me, that manifested in um, hyper excellence or, you know, mm-hmm. um, hyper achievement. And despite the fact that I was doubtful of everything I do and things like this podcast, every little yeah. thing that comes my way, it's hard to feel like, I actually deserved it because of Mm -hmm. the fact that no one else in my community, no one else in my household has been able to do this Mm -hmm. great work. Um, So, you know, the community culture that I have and the fact that I'm 
an LGBT student, there's a lot of, you know, barriers to achievement and kind mm -hmm. of we're expected to trickle out of these um, high esteem places like universities, like workplaces, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, has definitely impacted the way I view myself and the work that I have to do. So I just hope that this advocacy can continue to propel me in the right direction and allow me to overcome these things that, you know, still plague my everyday life, like self-doubt or, um, you know, other mentally distressing things um, like anxiety or, mm -hmm. you know, panic attacks, things like that are very common, but mm -hmm. also not, you know, people aren't equipped to help themselves, especially yeah. if you're a student whose family hasn't, you know, been able to support mm -hmm. them fully throughout academics or even just coming to terms with your own identity. Yeah, I think that that's so important. And sorry about my email. And <laughs> that definitely connects to our next question. I think that you touched on it a lot, but um, for people within the mental health community and communities abroad, um, social justice issues and all those people who tend to speak out on these issues, it could take a real toll on your mental health. It could take a huge sort of, it can be very stressful and it can be something that leads to a lot of negative mental health. And even though a lot of people advocate for mental health, they may themselves be suffering. So I think that for a lot of people, when I ask this question, they don't know the answer, but, um, or they don't quite have an answer. And that's happened to like most people who I have had either on a podcast or on an Instagram live or just speaking to others who are also like in this space. How do you prioritize your self-care? How do you find the time to prioritize yourself while working so closely with your community and with sort of negative challenges? Yeah, <laughs> I'm definitely in the same boat as everyone else. Like there's always seems to be my question too is mm -hmm. where to find the time you know, how do you balance these things out? Um, but, you know, I've, it's kind of been a journey and I'm sure mm -hmm. that other people can share this too, is that at some points you prioritize the work so much that uh, mm -hmm. you kind of lose the time for yourself. And I think I can attest to that for the when I first got uh, sought out help or therapy. Um, it was when I was at that breaking point, I was working on, you know, a campaign. I was also doing phone banking for the general elections, yeah. uh, doing my mental health work, academics, you name it. It was all that I had to do. And, um, you know, I just started to sit with myself and, you know, see that I was struggling as a person. So everything that I was doing couldn't be at my full capacity if I wasn't mentally there or mentally equipped to be handling all of that. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I've struggled to stay on track with things that do serve as self-care, but, you know, there are a couple of things that I've found. And um, even though I don't really think this is the year to have New Year's resolutions <laughs> after the year we've had. <laughs> so um, I just started doing a manifestation journal and I wasn't someone who really believed in it or even saw the benefit in it mm -hmm. until this year. And, you know, it's a very grounding practice. So whatever yeah. grounding practice that looks like for you, that can be breathing exercises, meditation, mm -hmm. another type of journaling. Yeah. Um, that's what I've been doing as well as, you know, in one of my therapy sessions, I brought up this hyper-professional, uh, perfectionist identity that I have mm -hmm. um, with my therapist. And um, she, when I talked about, you know, my future goals, how I want to go to law school, how the good I mm -hmm. want to do in the world, yeah. um, she, my therapist said, you strive for a lot of perfection. And, you know, that's where a lot of this hardship comes from and, you know, this type of... Mm -hmm. um, anxiety so strive for excellence as opposed for as opposed to perfection give yourself mm -hmm. that space to make mistakes and that's definitely what i've been trying to do is reaching for excellence instead of perfection and mm -hmm. finding some variation for each person listening can be super helpful also just doing things uh that you know prioritize yourself like for mm -hmm. me that looks like reading for fun yeah. going for runs <laughs> drinking tea and having no technology on for like 10 minutes <laughs> is great <laughs> and um 
you know, setting those boundaries with calendaring, um, mm-hmm. blocking off times when you're not able to work with others, um, mm-hmm. setting us just basically prioritizing things that matter to you and your own well-being are definitely what changed um, my life as well as, you know, understanding that sometimes there's going to be more taxing weeks and there's mm-hmm. going to be a loss of balance. That's just natural. But yeah. finding your way back to um, having this type of balance between advocacy and yourself um, is what I hope that every listener can find because, you know, you can burn out in a day, you can burn mm-hmm. out in a week and it, sometimes it takes a whole year and each time or each succession, it might get harder to balance back. Mm-hmm. So I just hope that, you know, we can start to avoid doing that in all of the community work that everyone is doing um, to make sure that we're preparing for the marathon instead of the sprint. So, you know, that looks like taking breaks in every variation of the word. Yes, I think that that's so important. And um, I love what you mentioned that you're there for that sentence about striving for excellence instead of perfection. I think that that's such a one such a wonderful piece of advice and I think that oftentimes like students who you know really want to be involved in work like this tend to be perfectionists tend to be people who you know really put very high pressures on themselves to achieve certain things in a very short amount of time and I think that Mm -hmm. that tends to be a lot of people within this space so um and I think that sometimes especially for students who are involved in community organizing or um, any form of public service, it often feels like there's a time limit or that, you know, they have to rush to achieve something. And then that's why they sort of work themselves to this point without giving themselves a break. So I definitely think that a lot of people who would be listening to this podcast are very attentive to what you have to say, because it's very relatable. And it's very relatable for a lot of students who just like are in this space who sort of really want to make a difference and they sometimes struggle with balancing that for themselves um and I think that it was just like a great piece of advice yeah definitely (laughs) (laughs) um kind of jumping away from that um do you see any connections between other social justice issues and mental health advocacy Um, so social justice issues can cover like a broad range of fields and sort of divisions. Um, where do you see the connections like within your own personal space or, you know, just more generally, um, how do you see those two being connected? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that there are (laughs) so, so many connections between mental health advocacy and social justice. Mm -hmm. Um, and to name a few Uh, police reform and police abolition, um, houselessness, environmental justice, gun control, these are all intricately connected Mm -hmm. amongst an array of social uh, justice issues. But, you know, these are the ones that are prevalent today. And specifically in this time that we find ourselves with COVID, with um, the unjustified murders of Black community members, Mm -hmm. um, and just with the economic hardship that we find ourselves in across the U.S. Um, So specifically uh, in the area that I'm in, which is L.A. and soon to be um, Oakland, Berkeley, Mm -hmm. um, these type of areas have huge police presence. So reforming and um, the abolition of um, police and the police infrastructure that we currently have um, is intricately tied with mental health advocacy because more often than not, um, community members are treated unjustly or inadequately because of the fact that they are um, struggling with mental health, mm-hmm. uh, with their mental health. Um, anything that ranges from a panic attack to schizophrenia is mistreated um, mm-hmm. when, more often than not, when police are called to assist, which is another issue. Why are we having police um, officers who are ill-equipped and have mm-hmm. expressed their distrust in themselves um, with the ability to do this work. That's not what they signed up for. And, um, you know, packing this onto the workload um, that these officers face um, is definitely why we're seeing such a breakdown and disservice to those of our community members that are struggling mm-hmm. with their mental health. 
So, you know, some simple changes could be in, uh, including more social workers, more therapists into the conversation, yeah. um, you know, distributing that, that duty elsewhere. Um, and, you know, we saw this uh, breakdown in the national police training uh, with community members and the police themselves not really understanding or misunderstanding what mental illness looks like. And once again, mm -hmm. we come back to this archetype of uh, mental health being in the shape or in the image of our white counterparts. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's hard to grapple with because um, of the fact that, you know, what can we expect if they aren't taught, you know, what adequate mental health service looks like. and you know, this change is definitely necessary. Um, and just to bring up a statistic, um, because I love <laughs> statistics, I love Same. having statistics back every, um, you know, argument that I make for something, especially when it comes to important things like police mm -hmm. reform slash abolition. And, you know, community members that are um, dealt with or dealing with um, untreated mental illness are 16 times more likely to be killed during a police encounter than other civilians. Um, and yeah, I just want to let us sit with that. It's that it's 16 times more likely. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. And that's not even taking account whether someone is uh, has another disability, whether or mm -hmm. not they are a community member of color, whatever it is, mm -hmm. there's also those additional barriers. So, you know, we just need to change that to start with because mental health advocacy cannot just be existing in a vacuum it mm -hmm. needs to be including all these other things and in addition to that houselessness is a huge thing so that's also intrinsically tied with mental health advocacy because mm -hmm. you know um those who are in homeless cohorts are 10 times more likely mm -hmm. to um die by suicide as opposed to their um like counterparts that are, you know, having a home. Mm -hmm. um, and all of these stats aren't even taking into consideration the current economic hardship that we're in and COVID. So mm -hmm. those things also add on to, you know, the more times uh, that you're stopped by the police, the more times yeah. or the more people we have being houseless right now. So mm -hmm. all of these interlocking parts need to be in the conversation when we talk about what mental health advocacy looks like because it doesn't exist in this one area mm -hmm. it touches on every part of our lives so you know those are just a few um that are most prevalent with everything that we're facing right now and i hate when people gloss over everything that we're facing right now so i'll just yeah. name it <laughs> we're having an economic crisis mm -hmm. let that like how often <laughs> do we actually, you know, have to deal with this? You know, the last one we had was about 12 years ago. And most of us on this podcast today weren't even alive then, or excuse me, not aware of yeah. what was happening then. So this is the first economic crisis we're actually getting a chance to live through. And not only that, but we're faced with a pandemic as well as injustices across the board home at home and abroad so mm -hmm. we need to talk about mental health as another part of all these issues because you know all of these are intrinsically tied and mm -hmm. you know i wish we had more time to expand on each one mm -hmm. but mental health advocacy touches on everything so we can't just talk about you know what it looks like to help one community over the other we need to talk about all the communities who are struggling right now mm -hmm. i totally, i totally agree with that and i think that something that is, I think social justice issues are so important to the broader mental health conversation. When we look at sort of the, like the statistics that you pointed out, but also looking at the social circumstances which affect our mental health, it is so tied to these social justice issues. And I feel like that's one of the major pitfalls of um, mental health advocacy on a broader scale or non-BIPOC mental health advocacy, a lot of it lacks sort of that social awareness and uh, focus on social issues. And that's something that made me personally want to begin my own advocacy to sort of 
point out the dis disparities and point out resources that are meant to help these disparities and looking at the impact of social justice issues on mental health. Um, and I think that that was sort of a major inspiration for me personally. And I think that that's something that mental health advocacy on a broader scale tends to lack or tends to not really pay attention to the intersectionality of these issues. And I think that it's a bit of a disservice. And I think that's why, you know, by POC, people of color, LGBTQ people um, in the advocacy space are so, so important like within this field because they tend to be the ones who are pointing out these disparities and, you know, really making people aware about the way that these issues intersect with mental health. And I think that that's so important. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we talked about it is that we shouldn't constantly have to be the ones doing the grunt work. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't just be the Latina community pointing out these disparities or the black community or mm -hmm. the LGBT community. You know, it takes everyone to yeah. have these hard conversations and that doesn't only uh, pertain to mental health, mm -hmm. um, but everything else we've brought up. So um, I hope that you know, this sparks a conversation for anyone that's listening, you know, to have these conversations of or question what mental health looks like in your community. Mm -hmm. Why does it look that way? And how is it different from um, the BIPOC LGBT community or the disabled community? Things mm -hmm. like that, you know, it's intrinsically different. And the system has been made that way. So mm -hmm. that way, you know, there's a difference in narratives and a difference of perspective, which can be a tool and also play to our detriment. So to actually sit down and analyze this and question what can you do to help is definitely where I see our future going. And hopefully you and I and everyone listening can play a part in that. Mm -hmm. So sort of bouncing off of that and sort of the mental health space more generally, what advice do you have to people in the space, in the mental health community, in the advocacy community? You can sort of take that as you will, but what is your advice to them? Yeah, definitely. Um, there is so much that we all have to learn, so I'm super excited for that. Um, but yeah, um, specifically for the mental health community, I think that some advice I would have is to, um, put statistics into context. You know, I brought up how much I mm -hmm. <laughs> love statistics and how important they are. Um, but sometimes we get lost in this conversation when it comes to mental health and tend to see people only as statistics or, mm -hmm. you know, um, percentages. So we remove the human suffering and loss mm -hmm. from the lives um, of these people and only look at mental illness um, as a statistic. So mm -hmm. that does a lot of damage when we try to do good for this community. So I think that that's one thing we need to do is that put it into context, what is happening in these communities? Why is mental illness such a prevalent issue? Mm -hmm. What can we do about it? What resources are available, et cetera, et cetera. And also representation is everything. So mm -hmm. that's why I'm so happy we're having this conversation today is because we're uplifting voices of color mm -hmm. and um, we're only gonna continue doing that. So, you know, to make space uh, where we can talk about mental health and what it looks like for different cultures, for people of different geographies and socioeconomic standings, mm -hmm. there needs to be a future that holds all of these to be true and does more work um, to uplift these different perspectives and understand that not everyone's story looks the same and you know yeah. that different truths are still valid and i hope that's where we go and that's the advice i have for specifically the mental health community i think that that's so important and i think that sometimes people's stories get lost and i think that in broader mental health conversations that's like especially true which is why podcasts which is why I specifically felt inspired to begin this podcast and why other podcasts focused on mental health and mental health stories and journeys are like super important and super inspiring. And I think people within this space can really benefit from those voices and those conversations. Yeah, definitely. So just to sort of end things off here, 
I guess like one of my questions is how do you suggest others become involved in the work that either you do or mental health advocacy in general? Um, how do you suggest like people get their foot in the door? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that we are definitely in an interesting position within the BIPOC community, mm -hmm. um, just because of the fact that, you know, these spaces weren't intending to include us in the conversation. So every step we take, I just want to acknowledge that everyone here is, you know, a trailblazer and that's mm -hmm. something to be proud of. So even taking this interest um, is, you know, a step in the right direction. So if um, I think a great place to start is realizing firstly, or like sitting with yourself and see what impact have you had on your own mental health? what external things have had an impact on your mental health um and what impact have you had on those around you mm -hmm. um what mistakes might have you made in the past um and you know start being willing to make the changes that need to happen so um for me that looked like realizing my own identity mm -hmm. realizing my family history um and understanding that i used to brush off a lot of people's um you know, comments on mental health. So sometimes people are like, oh, today I don't feel the best. And you kind of, uh, this generation has a tendency to just be like, oh, same. Instead mm -hmm. of actually yeah. like, you know, having that conversation, what's going on? Do you want to reach out to services? Things like that. You can start being an advocate. It's as mm -hmm. easy as engaging in a conversation. So, you know, that's a, a great way to start. I also love, um, and we reiterated throughout this whole conversation is grassroots and starting locally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think that's a great uh, way to get started. So finding even community members, you know, people in your school, um, people in your family, people in your local government that mm -hmm. are wanting to make this uh, change uh, to better mental health or those that are passionate about mental health, whatever it is, um, you know, start having those conversations with them. It's as easy as sending out an email, leaving a message, mm -hmm. uh, calling someone. Things like that are super easy to get started. And, you know, let's say you're passionate about other things like um, voting rights, LGBT rights, mm -hmm. um, your community's economic situation, things like that. You can intricately um, interconnect this with mental health. So even seeing it as an extension of another issue that you're passionate about and just starting to voice these two mm -hmm. things and how they intersect is another way that you can get involved. So, you know, it doesn't look like one thing and there's no one right way to get involved. So, um, you know, you can start doing this change locally, either through expressing your own interest and gathering a community, um, kind of building a coalition. That's another way you can get started. Um, and more often than not, these spaces are already here, just underfunded, under participated yeah. in. But if it's not there, don't be afraid to build it for yourself. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I was fortunate enough to enter spaces where it already existed, but mm -hmm. I've also seen the generations that came before me and the work they did yeah. so i understand that it's definitely it takes a village mm -hmm. to do this change um and also um an important way to get involved is to find out how you want to get involved so mm -hmm. advocacy looks very different you know um here we're talking on a podcast that's one way to get involved yeah. um, myself i personally like doing um, speaking events where I talk mm -hmm. about my experiences, mental health in general, mental health for my communities. Um, but I also love, you know, the idea of legislative change. So mm -hmm. you can get involved if that's something you're also yeah. interested in, um, either interning, volunteering, lobbying. You can lobby as a, a citizen mm -hmm. as well as part of a community or coalition for this change, whether at a state level or at a national level. You know, mm -hmm. it's not out of touch and you know, a big problem is that we feel that this type of change is unattainable, but yeah. it really is within our grasp. So mm -hmm. um, if that's something you're passionate about, there's also the important duty of educating yourself and educating mm -hmm. those around you, you know, with reading, writing, social media, um, expanding your school's library to include mental health literature. Mm -hmm. um, it can be as easy as that or as, um, wide-ranging as that mm -hmm. so you know it doesn't look like one thing but once you find out what way you want to help and what that looks like 
um, having this infrastructure or community that is in the same boat as you makes the mm -hmm. work so much easier and so much more worthwhile because you know you're not alone. So, you know, I've been fortunate enough to find my communities and I hope that everyone else listening um, can find theirs locally or you can even get involved, jump right into the <laughs> national conversation yeah. um, or or international conversation. Take mm -hmm. it as far as you <laughs> want. Just know that you can do it. And, yeah. you know, it doesn't look one way to be a mental health advocate. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And sort of the importance of bringing up conversations. Um, mental health advocacy could be as big or as small as you want it to be. It ranges so much. I think even within my own personal experience, sort of the ways that advocacy has changed for me personally, I think that anyone who sort of does this sort of work knows that it changes for you as a person as you go on. And I think that that's something that I think people need to be comfortable with, you know, that, you know, things, the way that you approach problems could definitely change as time goes on. And the way that you feel comfortable addressing them is super, super important. You gave out some really good ideas for the way that people can become involved in general. This conversation has been great. Thank you so much for being here and for giving us such important pieces of yourself of your journey of um like the broader mental health community thank you so much for that um just to sort of cap this off and to end this conversation a do you have any final thoughts and b how can people find you and the work that you do yeah it's been the pleasure is all mine to be here honestly um i'm super happy to be having this conversation um and, you know, I talked about the Latina community not being a monolith. So I would love, love, love to hear um, what other Latina community members uh, have to say. So, you know, this is a, a continuous conversation and I mm -hmm. hope that we continue to have it um, with different community members and um, different sectors of what it means to be by POC. Um, mm -hmm. So the work that I've been doing has been with Mental Health America and Tangible Movement two separate organizations um and i hope that you all go and support them and the efforts that that these two organizations have um because you know they're propelling continuous information and continuous guidance on how you can get involved so um these two organizations are always looking for new young voices to hear from and um yeah if you would like to reach out to myself um there's a couple places you can find me primarily um i'm on instagram and my handle mm -hmm. is the sin gomez um mm -hmm. and i guess if you want to look more at the work that i've done um i do have a linkedin and you could find a couple videos of other mental health events i've done on youtube mm -hmm. uh both of these you can simply search for sin gomez and mm -hmm. <laughs> my name will likely be there um <laughs> but yeah uh i've also done a lot of work within my school's student government so if uh you are a fellow college student and you've seen an issue happening on your campus or across california across the us please feel free to share it with me um and if there's any more social issues you would like for me to talk about or us to talk about um definitely feel free to share them because these issues for the bipoc community are you know in need of attention and mm -hmm. in need of assistance so it's our duty to, you know, uplift voices and change this conversation, change the atmosphere and the mm -hmm. culture that we have. Um, so if you have any suggestions or any way um, you want to respond to this podcast that we've done today, mm -hmm. please feel free to DM me. Um, and, you know, my my spaces are always open for new ideas or new projects. And, you know, um, yeah, just thank you all so much for listening today. And. I hope that you all kind of leave this conversation understanding that it's okay to have these conversations. It's important to have these conversations mm -hmm. for your community and, you know, find what helps you. If that means get it, taking a part in um, mental health advocacy, if that mm -hmm. looks like sharing your story, if that looks like seeking out help, all of that is totally valid. And, you know, you deserve, you're worthy of seeking out help and, if you need someone there to support you, you have people around you that care about you. And now you all have my <laughs> Instagram. So if you ever need that support, I'm always there for every listener as well. Um, so just know that you matter and 
you have an important role to play in the history that we're living through. Thank you so much for that and for your ending thoughts. Everyone, please go check out um, at the Sin Gomez on Instagram to learn more about, you know, just mental health and the ways that we impact our community. And, you know, I think that it's so important leaving this conversation, as Sin said, to just be open to having these conversations, no matter how tough they are. Thank you so much for listening and doing so. I think that it shows a lot about your openness to learning about things that may be uncomfortable, that may not be the easiest to learn about, to hear about. And just know that no matter how small you can take action to advocate for mental health within your own community. Thank you so much for listening to the Paris Project Mental Health Heroes. And please be on the lookout on our Instagrams to announce this podcast and to learn more about other mental health advocacy journeys. Thank you, Bison. Thank you so, so much. And that's all. Thank you.